Well, good morning, church. How's everybody? Doing all right? You guys still tracking through Titus in your groups and doing well there? Awesome. Thank you, Tate. As the kids make their way downstairs, we're going to continue in our Do Good series this morning. So turn with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Titus in the New Testament. Again, just three chapters Uh, just to the right of the two Timothys and to the left of Philemon. If you've gone to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Um, Last week we left off with Paul's instructions to Titus, if you'll remember, on how to handle the false teachers that had infiltrated the churches on the island of Crete. Well, as we... Turn the page here, literally, to chapter 2. Paul turns his attention uh, in this letter to Titus, a young protege in ministry that he is training up and sending out to a a very difficult task um, in these churches on Crete. He turns his attention to modeling healthy relationships. That, that, that Christians, followers of Christ, need to be very intentional about setting good examples. And we do that best in the context of relationships. Paul tells Titus to teach every generation in the church to set a good example for one another and for the world that's watching us. Let me ask you something this morning, regardless of your age, is your life making Jesus more attractive to others? Is your life making Jesus more attractive to others? And that's our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. As Gary said, we're to emulate Him. He is our example. We're to follow Him And then set an example for those behind us who are looking to us concerning what the Christian life looks like as it's lived. Are you setting a good example in your life with faith and deeds? It's a fundamental question that we all need to reflect on. Do people look at you and think, man, there's something different there in a good way? Paul begins here in Titus chapter 2 with the older men, and he he moves to the older women in the church, and then he goes to the younger men and the younger women, and he concludes uh, these ten verses in Titus 2 with with how even the slaves in the church can set a good example for their masters. So if you've got your Bibles open... Follow along with me as I read Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this to Titus. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He said, in other words, I want you to keep them between the ditches as far as what you're teaching. Teach sound doctrine. And then he says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound. In faith, in love, and in endurance. Man, teach them to finish the race well. 
That word temperate there. Teach the older men to be temperate. It literally means moderate as to opinion or passion. You know, as we get older, <laughs> we, typically, we typically get less moderate when it comes to opinion and passion. In other words, what Paul is telling Titus to teach the older men in the church, what he's telling him to teach guys who are my age and older, is, man, don't be an old dog who refuses to learn new tricks. Stay nimble as you age. Stay teachable as you grow older. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? Don't become so set in your ways that you can't listen and learn from the next generation. We need to always remember as older men, as older women in the church, that younger eyes are watching older lives. Younger lives are always watching older lives. They just are, whether we realize it or not. Man, we're literally living under a microscope. We don't think about it that much. But younger lives are watching how we walk with Christ to see if they want to follow in our footsteps. As older believers, we're living examples of what it looks like to walk with Christ for a lifetime. Hear me. 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. If you've been a Christian for many of those years, you are a living, breathing example of what the result is of walking with Christ for a lifetime. We're modeling the result of that decision in our marriages, at work, at home, at play. The question is, are our lives appealing? Are our lives something that the next generation is drawn to and would want to follow? Is there joy in our lives? Is there love being demonstrated and exhibited in our lives? Is there forgiveness received and given? Are we extending grace to others? But I tell you, having uh, Jacob... Um, come on staff with us here at the church. It's really been a breath of fresh air uh, for me. Jacob's 22 years old. He's not even a millennial. I think he's generation Y or something. X, is it? Okay. Um, you know, we, we were talking the other day, and he and I were listening to a podcast on how, you know, old guys interact with young guys, you know, and things of that nature and how we can be better and be more effective at that. And we figured out that with the ages there that he's not even a millennial. So um, he's sort of in a category all its own. But it has been a breath of fresh air for me. I mean, I pastored this church, you know, from a pastoral uh, perspective for 15 years, just sort of soloing it, man. And I tell you what, it is nice to have somebody here 
every single day that I can interact with. And so I'm learning a lot from him and, and I'm reminded just of the great responsibility that I have to model what healthy ministry looks like to him. I don't want to teach him what not to do. <laughs> I want to mentor him. But I also want to be willing to listen and to learn from him, which I am. And he brings so much to the table. Been spending a lot more time with uh, millennials and Generation X and Y and all that um, here lately. And honestly, I love it. It is just a breath of fresh air. Caleb, my, uh, my oldest son, he's 25 now, and uh, he's in a situation just starting his career and all that. So he's, he's living with us right now, saving up to, to buy a house, get married, all that fun stuff. And so he has challenged me to go to the gym with him and do his workout five days a week. I can barely get out of the bed these days. I'm just lucky to be here today. But man, what? So I'm spending an hour and a half with him five days a week just in the gym where he and I are spotting each other and doing that kind of thing and, and talking and, and spending time together. And I tell you, it has just been great father-son time. Just good, good stuff. At a time when... He's just launching his career. He's got a million questions. Man, Dad, I got this guy at work. I mean, how do you handle this? Da, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Uh, when he's looking ahead relationally, when he's beginning to plan for where he's going to live and uh, the, the house he's going to buy, making pivotal decisions that will affect the trajectory of his life. Man, what a privilege it is for me, number one, for him to even want to spend time with me i don't know if it's he is embarrassed because i'm so out of shape and he doesn't want to go out with i don't know what it is but um what a privilege for me to be able to speak into him as a dad and an older believer i've got a picture that i, I took uh yesterday um this is, uh yesterday was kim's birthday um, and so we, you know, go all out for her birthday. And so for years and years, I've always cooked steaks um, for her birthday. Her mom and dad came in this weekend. Her best friend, Rhonda, who'd had the transplant, uh, the heart transplant years ago, she surprised Kim and came in. And uh, she's not here today. She's seeing them off. They had to get back for a funeral this afternoon. Um, but every year, we, we cook steaks for the crew for Kim's birthday. And uh, Caleb's girlfriend, Sabrina, took this picture yesterday and he was showing it to me uh last night and i thought man what a picture what a what a practical example of what it looks like to hand the baton off to the next generation so uh, i've been teaching caleb how to cook the perfect steak for like 24 years now <laughs> yesterday was the milestone i am literally in this picture handing him the tongs and, and so he handled the steaks from here on out. They were perfect. And so, as, you know, as I look at that, it's just a practical example. I mean, us guys, we like to do stuff like that, teach, teach the boys how to, you know, cook steaks and rough and tumble and all that kind of thing. But, man, God, that I would do as good a job handing the baton of my faith to him, which is so much more 
important. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, think of me as a fellow patient in the same hospital who, having been admitted a little earlier, could just give some advice. What a beautiful quote. What a beautiful quote. And that's the way we need to be thinking of ourselves as older followers of Christ. Not that we've got it all figured out and that we know it all and that we can just tell you all the right answers. No, I've just been doing this a little bit longer and I may have learned a few things that I can pass on to you that would be important and effective to live your life in Christ. i got a group of seven younger men that I'm mentoring uh, right now. Every couple of years I'll, I'll do uh, a mentoring group, a young men's mentoring group here in the church when we have enough guys to, to do that. And, and right now I'm, I'm mentoring seven guys. We meet once a month. And I tell you, there is nothing that energizes me more than to see these young men grow in their faith. And carry that baton forward. Older men. We've got to model well. What it looks like to walk with Christ. As Paul told Titus. To be sound in the faith. That word sound there in the Greek. Literally means. When Paul tells Titus, teach the older men to be sound in faith, love, and endurance. That word sound there literally means health-giving. Health-giving. Life-producing. Let me ask you something this morning. If you're over 50 years old, would you describe your faith as life-giving to others? If you're over 50 years old, would you describe your faith as life-giving to others? Especially to your children. To your grandchildren. How many 70-year-olds can you point to and say, I want my faith to look like that when I'm his age? Unfortunately, it's more the exception than the rule. And there's so much wisdom so much experience that we have to share if we'll just stay in the game and run the race to the bitter end. Sound in love, sound in endurance. Man, if you're retired or, or you're moving into retirement soon, let me ask you something. What is your focus in retirement? What do you want that to look like? Who do you want to be in this season of your life? Do you want to get everything you can out of this last season of life? Or do you want to give your life away? And the most powerful examples of faith in Christ that I have ever seen were those who lived it right to the end. Fought the good fight. Finished the race. A good faith lives on for generations. For generations. What kind of example are you setting for the believers behind you? That's what Paul is conveying to Titus here. Because younger eyes are watching 
older lives. Paul goes on to tell Titus in verse 3. He says, likewise, teach the older women. So he shifts his focus now from the older men in the church to the older women in the church. And he says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or gossips or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. In other words, challenge the mature ladies in the church to honor God with their lives. That word reverent there literally means in keeping with holiness. In other words, live lives that are noticeably different than the world around you. That are set apart. Hagias. That's what that word means. Set apart for special service. Ladies, let me ask you something. Are you blending in to the culture? Or are you standing out as a mature follower of Jesus Christ? And we underestimate the power of a good example. Our lives are teaching the next generation. Whether we realize it or not. Paul challenges the mature ladies in the church to set the example and to teach what is good. That way, he says, ladies, if you're living it, then, he says, you can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. You can, you can teach them and train them to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. In other words, set a good example of what it looks like to be a godly wife and mother. Teach them how to live godly lives in a culture that is hostile to Christian values. That's what Crete was at this time. And the church at Crete, when Titus had been called there, had just sort of surrendered to the culture. It was blending in, indiscernible, indistinguishable from the culture around it. I saw uh, an extreme example of women teaching women um, this week. I had a friend of mine who, who sent me uh, a link to a documentary that's actually coming out. I think it's coming out on Fox, if I'm not mistaken it's a film called sheep among wolves has anybody heard of this yet uh it's called sheep among wolves uh it's about the fastest growing church in the world today in the nation that this is occurring in and the evangelical church uh in this particular nation is growing right now at a rate of over 20 percent per year which is exponential if you continue to, to move that forward. What, what country do you think this is happening in? Iran. That's exactly right. It's happening in Iran. It's the underground church in the strict Muslim country of Iran. It owns no property. Listen to this and compare it to our church in, in the United States. It owns no property, it has no buildings, has no central leadership, really, and is predominantly led by, guess who? Women. Women. 
who have been oppressed, pushed. I mean, I can't even imagine being a woman. I can't imagine being a man in that culture, but much let being a woman in that culture, that they're, they're just not counted. But the church in Iran is led predominantly by women, and it's the fastest growing church in the world today. An older female leader in the church there said that their goal is not planting churches, but rather making disciples, the majority of whom are women. Their entire model is women teaching women how to live godly lives in a culture that is hostile, to say the least, to Christianity. If they're found out, you know what happens to them? They don't live. Talk about believers setting themselves apart. And that's what Paul is challenging the Cretans to do here, challenging Titus to teach them to do. That's what he's challenging us to do today, to be set apart from the culture around us, to be disciples who are distinct from this world, willing to set good examples. The female leader that um, was quoted in this article that I read, she said this. She said, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus until he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. They're not so caught up in politics that they're kind of blinded to everything else. He said converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. Let me ask you something this morning. Men and women alike, all of us, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you a convert to Christianity? I believe that is a question that needs to ring in the churches in this country. The church in Crete was full of converts at this particular time. Titus is to teach them to be disciples by setting good examples. Paul then tells Titus to turn his attention to the young men. It's fascinating. This is all he says when it comes to the young men. <laughs> Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That's it. He's got all this laundry list of stuff for the old guys and the older women and the younger women. He just, one, one thing for the younger men. Yeah, you guys out here, how many of you have been younger men? How many of you get this? Paul said, I'm telling you one thing. You tell them to do one thing. And if they can get this, man, we're way ahead. Tell them to be self-controlled. Control yourself. Just tell them that one thing. And having once been a younger guy, whew, I totally get that. How many mistakes I could have avoided with just a little self-control. Young men, where do you need to exercise more self-control? Physically? Sexually, recreationally, financially, verbally. Paul says, Titus, just tell them, man, control yourself. 
Control yourself. Set a good example. And finally, Paul turns Titus' attention to the slaves in the church. You know, I, I had heard Chip Ingram in, a, in our small group study uh, say something about 80% of the population of the Roman Empire at this time were slaves. It blew my mind. I, I, I really had never run across that stat and never thought too deeply about it, that the first century church and the culture that it was in was a culture with 80 and some even said up to 90% Slaves, And so certainly this was part of the social order in Paul's day. And so he tells Titus to speak to the slaves in the church as far as how they can set good examples. And he says this, he says, teach the slaves, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Man, that's a big task, isn't it? To try to please them. Not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. My gracious. Talk about a, an excuse to be bitter, to not show the love of Christ, to not set a good example. Well, they had it. Operating in the social order of the day. And we see that over and over again in Paul's letters. That he's not upsetting the apple cart of the social order of the day. He's weaving Christ into the fabric of it. And he's doing the same thing here in the relationships with slaves and their masters. And he's teaching slaves to exemplify the character of Christ even in such a one-sided relationship. Man. So what do we do with that today? Is that transferable to today? You know, I think we can transfer it uh, today. Uh, I think we can transfer it to the workplace, to be honest with you. How many of you feel like a slave there sometimes? Yeah. Do you always respond respectfully to authority on the job. Same principle applies. Do your attitude and actions in the workplace make Jesus more or less attractive to others? So Paul conveys to Titus the importance of teaching every generation in the church to set a good example. To walk with Christ in such a way that we're demonstrating something that's attractive to others. That they might want to follow in our footsteps. And I'll leave you with this question this morning. Where do you need to be a better example when it comes to making Jesus more attractive to others? When it comes to passing your faith to the next generation, or to the next cubicle at work, or to the next house in your neighborhood? Where do you need to be a better example when it comes to making Jesus more attractive to others? Let's pray.
Father, thanks for setting an example in flesh and blood that we can follow. Thank you for sending your Son uh, to this earth uh, as a man. Lord, tempted as we are tempted yet without sin. Lord, as a man who who laughed and who cried and, and who learned to trade from his father. A man who was in this world yet capable of setting a perfect example. Father, may we as, as your children walk in his footsteps. May we be reminded that uh, younger eyes are, are watching our lives. And may our lives be attractive to those behind us. That they too are drawn to embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that in His name. Amen.